Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Rick. And tell me about these books again. What's the point here? I mean, like... <laughs> well, the point is, they're going to fall over in the middle of the pot if you hear a big boom and Rick is like, God. And I live in an earthquake country, but no, they make you look smarter. That's all. Okay. That's, that's, all, that's all. And I'm not allowed to keep them at home. So, oh, well. Get rid of them. I, no, I've got your books and Eric's book here, books here. So, you know wow. what? You know, I, I can't let these things go. That's crazy, man. By the way, that's Rick Graziani speaking there. Tom's not on today, so Rick's on instead of Tom. So Rick, we just call you Tom. Is that okay? That's that's yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> tell tell people what you do, Rick, because I, I people don't know who you are. I uh, well, obviously, I collect books, uh, but besides that, I I teach full time at Cabrillo College in uh, uh, Santa Cruz area, Aptos, California, and I also teach. Uh, Halftime at University of California, Santa Cruz. Uh, I do some part-time work for Cisco Networking Academy and their curriculum engineering team. Uh, occasionally write a book or two. And uh, I'm thinking about getting a paper out just uh, for something to, for something yeah, to do. Yeah, something to do on this fair time. Yeah, that's that would be awesome. And today we're joined by Eric Chow. And Eric, where are you? You used to live in San Jose, but where are you now? Yeah, so I grew up in Southern California and uh, live in San Jose for a little bit. Right now, I'm in Seattle. I've been here for about 16 years. So I don't know. I I, I could I can I guess I could say I'm from Seattle, but you know, uh, well, originally from Taiwan. So like oh, okay. all over the place a little bit. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that's kind of cool. So your family moved from Taiwan to San Jose when you were young. Yeah, so we moved from uh, Taiwan to Southern California in the city called Fullerton. So it's like Orange oh. County area. Um, kind of southern tip. Awesome, great. Yeah. yeah, I had a friend when I was in the U.S. Air Force. I had a friend who was in the Chinese Air or not in the Taiwanese Air Force. I say Chinese, tiny Taiwanese Air Force, and I love that guy. He was so awesome. I we all called him Jerry. I could probably never pronounce his name for real, but we called him Jerry. And uh, he gave me red money every year for years, and got me a yeah. job and all that cool stuff. It was really really cool. Um, he would always host dinner for Chinese New Year's and all that stuff. It was so, so cool. Um, yeah. Jerry Happy Veterans Day to you and uh, Jerry. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. For, we're recording on Veterans Day for the oh, U.S. Yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah for that's, those of you yeah, who don't know. Who don't know. Yeah. So, all right. So we're talking about technical publishing. All right. So, of course, everybody knows I have this longstanding relationship with with Pearson so let's back up for a second, though, and before we talk about my stuff, Eric, what is your what is your experience with publishing? Like, wh where where do you come from? Yeah, so I'm actually here sitting with two distinct, very distinguished authors, right? So <laughs> I figure I'm gonna keep my my bid minimal. No, and, uh, probably you know, I'm just not. <laughs> shut up and let you guys, you know, talk most of the time. But uh, so personally, you know, I've always been a bookworm. I I love reading. This is what I do all the time. My favorite hobby. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I wrote some blog about software defined networking and it ranked pretty high on Google and people reached out and said, Hey, you know, did you want to write something about open flow? And I told them, I don't think people want to know about open flow, right? Like, <laughs> what about just doing Python and networking in general? It'd be like, Hey, you know, I think that'll work. 
So therefore, you know, I started writing about that. So that book is called Mastering Python Networking. And that is the book that, you know, kind of people know most about. It's in the fourth edition, came out this year. But other than that, I also did uh, book reports with O'Reilly. Um, I did, uh, like, this co-author with Rich, my my uh, my colleague and friend. And I also did self-publishing uh, on Kafka. And that's that didn't make any money, <laughs> purely. Uh, passion project, so maybe less than 500, 500 copies or so. Um, so those are kind of the the publishing background I have. I know it's not nearly as much well, as no, the one I of mean, you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, O'Reilly, is that who you're primarily working through is O'Reilly or is it? No, so right now, the, those other books were primarily with pack publishing. So they're more okay. edgy, uh, kind of, you know, taking chances on kind of newer topics. O'Reilly mm-hmm. and Pearson as well is uh, kind of, you know, want kind of more conservative, wants to know X amount of copies that were sold. And I'm sure you have a ton of experience with that, Ross. Well, yeah, I was going to say, actually, uh, Pearson, at this point, largely does not encourage me to write. They encourage me to do video because Mm. the video is more edgy. Yeah, The video stuff is more edgy and can be more edgy. But okay, so let's move to Rick. Rick, uh, what's your what's your experience? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's definitely something you know, if somebody would have told me I did, you know, when I was in college that I'd be writing, I would tell them they were crazy. Uh, but it's something, you know, later in life, I really enjoyed doing, especially, you know, as as a uh, teacher. Um, it's, uh, you know, what I try and do, and I know both of you have, a, have similar experiences, putting your voice into the book or whatever you're writing and you know, it, it definitely has its challenges because in teaching, at least you have students on the other side. Uh, you yep. can see by their, you know, body language, are they understanding something? They can get, ask you questions. But when you're writing a book, it's, it's, that's it. Uh, you know, what goes out is, is it. Nobody's, you know, of course I'll email you and things like that, but it's not interactive. So um, it it is something that, takes a lot of thought and you know a uh just really gotta you try and cover all bases without going too deep into something but not losing them either yeah so i, I don't know i mean i've done a little bit of self-publishing i've self-published a couple of books one of which well none of which have ever done well but i mean that's 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 okay uh that's just part of the game with self-publishing and I would, I would say, I mean, I don't know what your, what y'all's experience is. I would say that publishers are doing less and expecting mm-hmm. the author to do more today. Any thoughts on that from either of you? I don't know. Maybe Eric, you want to? Yeah, I, I 120% agree. I think you're, that was one of the lessons. So right after I, the second edition came out on Master in Python Networking, I actually wrote an article with Packet Pusher on the lessons learned. And that was one of the biggest lessons I've learned was you're pretty much on your own, right? You That's why, you know, I think the publisher nowadays go out and seek industry voices such as you and, and Rick that, um, that they only have their own audience already. So therefore they know when they publish something, there's a certain amount of people who would, who would listen and who would buy the book. And they actually calculate the royalty advancement from that, probably calculating backwards. So I would definitely agree that, you know, one of the lessons I've learned was once you're published, you're pretty much on your own on the promotions and, uh, you know, kind of advertisement for yourself. I don't want to use the term your own brand, but that's really what it is, is that you're trying to bring the audience in. 
And once you have that established, maybe for the second book, the third book, that they will you know, allocate some kind of marketing budgets or you know, maybe even a part-time marketing personnel for you to advertise your book. But most of the time, you're, you're on your own and happy to you know, listen to what Rick has to say about that. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's, uh, you know, uh, when you're a, a name brand like, you know, Russ White, you know, you have a certain <laughs> following and, you know, has Russ's name on it and, and that. Oh, but uh, I know, like, you know, I've kind of written two types of books. One is kind of under is my own work, pretty much. And you, you're you're you have to promote it. You've got to get the word out there. Uh, yeah, you're kind of out on your own. So, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's... No, go ahead. I was going to say, um, that's kind of the biggest difference between um, the self-publishing and traditional publisher. Even though the traditional publisher have decreased the amount of uh, reach that they have or you know active reach that they have, but self-publishing, you're doing that even more. Um, and that was one of the reasons when people approach me and wondering if they to do self-publishing or they would go with a traditional publisher. That's one of the biggest thing that I told them is what's your goal um, and how much reach do you have and uh, what kind of channel are you looking for? So for example, your traditional publishers still have a lot of partners for translation. So if you want your book to be translated into other, other languages, you're, you're better off working with a traditional publisher. But if not, then as what Russ was saying, you know, your, your kind of effort that put it in, it's going to be uh, more, but it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of similar effort that you're putting in, um, if not a little bit more for self-publishing. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with self-publishing is you get 80 to 90% of the royalties instead of, I don't know what y'all are getting, but maybe 10, 20% somewhere, yeah. maybe 5%, something like that, depending yeah. on the publisher and the number of co-authors and stuff like that. But you're getting 10 to 80 to 90% of a quarter of the book sales most of the time is my experience with it because self-publishing is really all on you. And for whatever reason, and maybe, maybe this is just me, but for whatever reason, it still feels like people trust a book written by an author that's on Pearson or whatever. They believe the quality control is there or something. More so than something that's written through a self-publishing situation. I don't know. Thoughts either of you on that? Because that that's my that's kind of my experience. Yeah, I I, I kind of see that. I mean, I I even kind of do that myself. You know, if I see a book by a, a, a publisher, I kind of you know know that at least it's gone through some kind of process because I know we all know what that process is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I know it's been looked at by many eyes and, uh, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, even, you know, self-publishing or something where it's like, well, it may not have the same kind of quality control behind it. Yeah, I think one interesting fact is that uh, when back when you know, before COVID, O'Reilly used to publish a bunch of books, plus they host, you know, like Velocity and open source convention and uh, many of the other uh, events, in-person events throughout the year. And that is actually where they mo make most of their money um, as opposed to book publishing. The margin is super low. And, you know, if you're factoring the distribution, the marketing, all of that, you know, they really don't make a lot from the book publishing. However, they keep that arm going because it's a trusted brand. And that is what bring the audience over for the in-person events. 
And the, I think these were explained really well in the, um, I forgot who the, the lady was, but, you know, just right when COVID hit and they were talking about how this was has such a big financial impact on O'Reilly, she actually disclosed all of these details on, you know, where they make most of their money. So back to what you were talking about, Russ, on the trusted brand and the the whole process of quality control and what Rick mentioned. So um, so that's just kind of one interesting fact about book publishing. Yeah. I, I would actually say that my experience, not only in the technical world, but in the other worlds that I published in, is that a lot of the sales of nonfiction books aren't in bookstores. They're at conferences and they're tied to podcasts and stuff like that. And the biggest thing against self-publishing that I, that I have is that it's very hard to get a self-published book into the bookstore at a conference. Yeah. Yeah. Those bookstores are run by Pearson. They're run by O'Reilly. They're run by somebody. And those companies are selling their books. They're not selling your books. That's just the fact of the matter. And a lot of people will go to a conference like that and they'll pick up 10 books and they'll take pictures of them and say, I want this book. And they'll buy those books later and they won't look at self-published stuff. And so that that is a thing about self-publishing if you go that direction that you have to realize. It's not only just on you, you're not going to get any exposure from any of those common places. Now, as far as the editing process and the quality, Rick, I don't know. My experience is varied. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it really depends on um, your your editor. So I, I don't know about you guys' experience, but for me, you know, there's the um, there's a bunch of editors. <laughs> One is the acquisition editor who negotiates the contract and gets you in and the royalty percentage. Then you have the content editor, which is you know the person who is actually getting your copy, returning back to you, aggregating all the comments. Then at the end, there's actually a, another proofreader that goes through that whole process. You do lose a lot of that uh, if you do go the self-publishing route, unless you're able to pay up front and hire your own uh, editors. And you might not be able to edit like two or three because the the ones at the publisher, they actually do a bulk, right? So then they have the economies of scale, that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, l- happy to listen to your thoughts on that, Rick. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it, it really just depends on the editors you have and yeah, really also the amount of time you have. I, I know I really appreciate the technical editors I've had, especially on the IPv6 books. Uh, they've been fantastic. And and nothing against the copy editors. The, the only thing, you know, reminds me of when I was in like sixth grade and having my teacher, you know, uh, mark up my paper. <laughs> Uh, which is fine, but you have to be very careful because that can also take away your voice, the way yep. that you want to explain something and then the way, the manner you want to explain it. Uh, so it's, you have to read those edits and those comments very carefully and have the time to do it, not just accept them or not just reject them. Cause some of them are, oh yeah, I, 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 I meant, the affirmative and not the negative of that set sentence that would have been completely wrong but if you're not careful it takes your voice away it can even change the technical meaning of what you're trying to say and uh so that that process for me was always the hardest because it took the most time yeah i think i think that's a misconception about publishing by the way is the time taking but let's go back to editing before we jump into that is that I find that the editing process often does destroy my voice. 
Mm. And I and it really I find it very annoying often, just to be flat out honest. I find the entire editing process to be annoying to a large degree. Yeah. Now on the other side, I am very I use grammarly, I'm very grammatically, yeah. you know. I have a PhD in philosophy, so I'm very well-trained on writing. I've been beat the crap out of on writing for 20 years now, doing way beyond technical writing. And, you know, I even went to the point, I wrote a fiction book once, and I wrote the fiction book for one reason. Because first of all, well, two reasons. First of all, I thought I had a cool idea. And there aren't many mystery books around network engineering, so I thought, what, what, why not just go do it? The other reason was, was because I always felt like I struggle to build a storyline. I Mm. struggle to tell a story technically, and that's what you have to do. So much of technical writing is just information dumps. It's useless. It's configuration. It's blah, blah, blah. You're not telling a story. And because I wanted to understand how to write a story better, the only way I could think of doing it, other than reading books on telling stories, which is not necessarily very helpful in my opinion, was to go write a fiction book and tell a story. And then go hire a public, go hire a really high end editor. And I paid a lot of money to do it and have her just beat the snot out of my writing and force me and like tell me, no, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And just see it in my own writing, how I was doing information dumps, how I was not doing very good with putting the elements together to create a storyline. I think that made such a huge difference in my writing, writing that fiction book just to do the editing bit. I really admired that, Russ. I mean, you know, something that I've always wanted to do was ever since I read The Phoenix Project um, was to do something like that, right? To tell a story, but yet technically accurate. Um, What was that movie called? The, The movie with Matt Damon with the actual physics physicist you know nobel prize winning physicist oh, on, yeah. on that, that mm-hmm. being um was it inter uh, yeah i don't remember the name of yeah it. I'll, I'll i'll it'll come to me but um yeah. but yeah no i admire that i'm very interested in hearing your your whole experience on on writing a uh i guess a realistic fiction or like a, a purely it's, fiction it's, book. it's a purely fiction murder mystery totally invented characters just went off and wrote it um and it's it's from where i live i mean it's set in an area I lived in for many years. And so therefore I kind of know the geography and I knew how to do things there. And it's about a network engineer. So like I was actually pushing, you know, and not many people know this about me, but I shot competitively for years. So any of the Mm. parts that were related to that, that part of the thing were like, I researched those very carefully and made sure I wasn't like being totally crazy and stuff like that. And so, you know, it, but it was a good process for me, and I lost a lot of money on the book. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, I wasn't losing money. It was like taking a college class, right? Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go take a degree in writing. It's going to cost me two or three thousand dollars or five thousand dollars to go get some class that's really good. Why not just go hire an editor, write a book, make sure the editor's really interactive and really good, and just treat it as a college class? I'm just going to spend a year with this person learning to write a story. Uh, And, you know, sometimes that's what you got to do as a writer. You just got to go do stuff and figure it out. And if you're not selling any books, well, you know, you didn't sell any books. Whatever. I I really (laughs) like that idea. I use that all the time. And, you know, in especially my my work with the, the Cisco team in writing curriculum. And I said, you know, I'm always, you know, we're telling a story. 
yeah. you know, uh, each the the whole book, the course is a story. Each chapter, you know, has to be a story where, you know, because uh, that's going to keep the the reader engaged, keep them interested. Uh, I even look at when I'm writing, kind of a I think of things like like a storyboard, you know, where we're headed, and a uh, kind of a roadmap like you do for maybe writing a book, a fiction book, you know, the characters, how you're going to get there. Uh, developing the story, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's critically important to writing, even for blog, everything from blog posts to like people. I mean, we're not just talking about books here, by the way, blog posts to everything. It's all like it's all based around stories, giving presentations and doing online training and everything. It's all you've got to tell a story. You got to start with a story. So, yeah, um, it's also storytelling. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, a lot of times in class, I'm like, you know, you know, I, I start to tell a story and that really keep, keeps the, 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 the students more engaged. And I just read, you know, a book um, on data centers that I liked just how the author, I think it's, uh, I don't want to, Dinesh, 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 yeah, that just, and I just loved how his style, his conversational style of of um you know telling a story and you could tell it was more of a you know wasn't just as if he was sitting there next to you telling you how this worked and i really enjoyed that style yeah well here's the here's the challenge for you rick right because you wrote the ccna book so how about if you write a fictional book that is just the enjoyment, right? Like just the joy to read, but also get people over that hump to get certified in CCNA. <laughs> how, how about that? Like, you know, I don't care if it's 500 pages, right? Like you just zoom by if it's entertaining. So, um, but, yeah, thanks. I, I actually have to make a kind of a disclaimer here. A lot of the, uh, the Cisco Academy books, I'm part of a team that writes the curriculum and, mm. and part of that for over almost 25 years now, but I'm, so they make me one of the companion authors because my voice is and my writings and a lot of this stuff, but uh, I am. Uh, okay. Well, that's a, that's another, that's another misconception of our writing is that you write alone. Yeah. Mm. That's a total misconception. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's totally unusual to write things on your own. It happens from time to time. I mean, I wrote my dissertation on my own, but I had to write my dissertation. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you're getting a grade for it. So it is what it is. You're going to pass fail. But like almost every book until the last one has a co-author. Mm. And that's not a mistake. That's like, it's not just you and the editor. And see, people say, well, you know, your co-author may not have written, but two chapters out of the 10 or 12. That's not the point. The point is they're acting, your co-authors often act as a first line editor that's technical and understands the point of what you're trying to do better than any of the editors at the company that you're writing with are ever going to understand. And they have their own vision. And so they're trying to shape the vision as well. And so I think there's a lot to be said to work with other people, whether or not you call them co-authors, but you should never, you know, you don't write alone. Nobody it's also it. the time it takes. Yeah, the only time I did write, you know, the IPv6 fundamentals, but I was able to write that one on my by myself on my own, only because I was on sabbatical, and uh, I actually went to Italy, foreign country, where you know, no place better to write where you don't know anybody and can't speak the language. That didn't work out for you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, 
you know, and uh, I did know people, but um, uh, it's uh, that that doesn't happen very often where you get time as a technical writer to just not worry about any, you know, your work, job, whatever, and focus, you know, eight, 10 hours a day on, on writing a book. So I'm going to turn that around a little bit and say, as a writer, you have to be fast. So, yeah. so there are, there are stories about like Stephen King yeah. and being in writing things and somebody will say, or in an interview or something, and somebody will say, well, you know, I can write a book in a year or whatever. And he's like, I write six pages a day or whatever it is. I think it's six pages a day for him. And they're like, you write six pages a day. Yes. 365 days a year. I write six pages. I get up every morning. I write six pages. That's what I do. People think that's incredible, but the reality is if you really get down to it, you can write a lot of material very quickly in short periods of time, but you've got to learn to be fast, which is all about environment. It's all about, like Rick says, a different country. For me, it's all about tools. I mean, it sounds really dumb, but like I used to have people beat up on me. You need to stop using Microsoft Word. You need to use Markdown. I'm like, fine, but it's going to, but the way I have Word set up is not the way you have Word set up. I have a very skinny set of menus that I have customized where I have access to exactly what I want every time I want to. It takes me a very small number of clicks to get to anything. Furthermore, I know all the keyboard sh shortcuts. So like I can write in Word very quickly. And I'm not saying I couldn't write as fast in Markdown. I don't think I could write any faster in Markdown. I just don't think I could. It's the same thing with diagrams. Um, like people joke because I use CorelDRAW. Okay, but I've been using CorelDRAW since. I got the first copy of CorelDRAW when I was in the U.S. Air Force. There was not a version number on the box. That's how long I've been using CorelDRAW. My fingers and my brain know CorelDRAW. I could switch over to Illustrator, and I'm sure I'll be just as good an Illustrator, but it would take me five years to get back to that level of, of just being able to just flow and just do it. It's just not worth five years for me to switch to Illustrator, honestly. <laughs> you yeah, know? I, I think I think um I think I know what you're talking about, Russ, because I read the same book on uh, from Stephen King. I think he wrote over sixty-two books in his you know long career. Um, but he only wrote two nonfiction and only one non-writing. And yeah. that was what you were talking about. He's it's all about consistency, it's about comforting. Yes. And uh, I, I Roger that on you. Um, I mean, what Rick did was, you know, great on, you know, getting into an environment that he could write and be isolated, yes. kind of be to his own thoughts. But for me, I'm, I'm the same way with you. It's all about comforting, it's getting to that rhythm. Um, so you know, one of the things that I did when I'm writing a book is always write at the same time with the right amount of words. So I always wanted to do about a thousand to two thousand words a day, which um, I might just end up deleting all of them. But just the fact of like that writing process and yes. establishing a habit, getting up at the same day, then that makes everybody around you know it too, right? The kids kids know not to disturb me from you know five a.m. to six thirty because that's always the time I'm writing, and they know upon six thirty they could come in and we'll you know have breakfast. I'll take them to school or whatnot. 
So um, yeah, that's a great book. I was actually looking at my bookshelf. I'm, I'm just such a messy person, but I was going to pull up that book and say, hey, here it is. But it's like buried somewhere. I, I'm afraid, yeah. you know, just like what Rick has in the background. I'm afraid if I pull something out, like everything will fall down and you won't see me for another month. Eric, how, how, how were you under any sort of pressure? You know, what was your, I guess, deadlines? I don't want to say pressure like to yeah. get, you know, the, the work done in a, certain timely manner where you did you feel that or yeah you know i was actually kind of self-imposed on that first first book <laughs> because i would try to write it before they realized they they found the right wrong person <laughs> to, <laughs> to write that book i'm like okay you know let's just do it and um, because at the time there was no very little book about network automation and there was no you know python or i mean i mean this whole topic was kind of kind of niched and I didn't think there was going to be a lot, a big audience for it, much like all of my other books. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just not going to sell. So, um, so what I wanted to do was just write it really quickly, get it out there, and get some feedback. Uh, getting that feedback. I mean, that's another. I mean, I, I wanted to go more about like self-publishing because I thought it's it's kind of in a very interesting space. But to just to wrap up that thought of what you brought up is, yeah, it was like a self-imposed deadline. I wanted to write about three to 5,000 words per week to just so that I could accumulate and you know do fast editing, like what Russ was saying on that consistency. So I finished the book in about uh, four and a half months and then took about another month to do all the final editing, another month to do the final uh, like book cover, that kind of miscellaneous stuff. So the whole project gave about six, seven months, which was relatively fast. But, um, but yeah, you know, interesting you brought up that point, Rick. That was like a self-imposed deadline. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't know. I would say the average book takes a year. Yeah. That's that's my guess at an average. There are books that are faster. There are books that are slower. Um, and by the way, the more co-authors you have, the more the more slowly the book is going to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? Just, I just <laughs> like, get over it. It's okay. <laughs> but Yeah. So, I yeah, know, so that... this one, uh, maybe twice as slow if you were right alone. I, I, I'm holding up the book you're in with uh, Ethan, Ethan. Uh, on Rust. Yeah, well, it's, so, it's, okay, it's a great book. But, but that was actually very fast. That mm. one and the last one I read on CCST were both very fast. I mean, we're talking eight months for that book. And then and then six months for the CCST book, basically, mm. from, from, from empty page to final manuscript. Now, you know, it takes them five months to publish it after it's out or four right. months or whatever it is. Right. But the manuscript for the CCT, CCST book has been done for 45 days. It's not published yet. So it was seven, eight months um, total. And, so, and I started in mid-January writing that. So seven, six, seven months, seven, eight months, whatever that is. But that's fast, typically. If you're going into a book project, just count on it being a year or maybe a bit longer. Dissertation was the other end. It took me three years mm. to get through it, right? But it's a little bit different because I had to do a lot of research and I had to do a lot of backing and understanding and reading stuff and thinking about it. And I had a lot of pushback from my major professor on different points and stuff like that. It was much more iterative, interactive process than other things that I've done. But yeah, is that your experience too, Rick? Is it like a year, two years? Yeah, you know, for, for me, it depends on the type of book. You know, like the, the IPv6 books, I was kind of able to go not at my own pace. They, they want them out fairly quickly. 
I think one one of them they wanted out before Cisco Live. You mentioned selling at the conferences. Yeah. Wanted. Uh, for the curriculum type books, you know, you're kind of other under other deadlines. They're getting the online course curriculum out. They want the books to come soon after. Try to get them, you know, they can before a typical whatever that is anymore school school year begins. So uh, those are usually kind of, dip, you know, you have different kinds of deadline pressures for that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a that's a good point about. I mean, we all kind of pretend we live in this vacuum on you know where writing is just by itself as writing, but there's a lot of other uh, you know factors that factor in, such as you know your business deadlines, your conferences, and your um, you know your editors have done their market research and say these are the topics that people show the most interest in. So you should include some security. You should include some you know monitoring or whatnot. Um, which is, you know, all playing to the role. So you don't really have 100% unless you self-publish, um, 100% of the control over your projects, as you mentioned, as both of you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's talk about time a little bit because we've kind of skirted around this. It came up a couple of times, but like I, it takes, I'll, to be honest, in writing, it takes me longer. The, the thing that takes me the longest is the editing process. The mm. second longest for me is always figuring out how to make the flow work. And, um, you know, I've had editors tell me that my, my writing is very chaotic. And, and that's because I'll write things, like you said, Eric, I'll go write 10 pages and then yeah. I'll be, I'll, I'll get it all put in place and then I'll be reading back through it and I'll be like, yeah, that doesn't fit there. That's got to go someplace else. And I'll cut it and paste it in another chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And like things get moved all over the place. And then you've got to go back and rewrite your, your, your filler, you know, your transition pieces and stuff like that to make it work. Um, and I think probably the third longest thing is doing illustrations. Now, I don't know how you two do illustrations, but the illustrations you see on my books are my illustrations. I don't, oh, like, okay. they don't. They don't redo my illustrations for them. I mean, I guess they redraw them or whatever, but you can't, I, I look at them and I can't tell the difference between my illustration and theirs. And so <laughs> it takes a lot of time for me to sit there and think, how am I visually going to represent this in a way that somebody reading the book is going to get it? What goes in the text? What goes in the illustration? Um, those are real time consumers for me, but, but editing is really bad. In my opinion, that takes a long time. You know, you mentioned illustrations. The uh, just even thinking about, you know, you you're limited to at the best grayscale, uh, so you can't use different colors. You're limited. You think I have to think about the size of the illustration. May look really good on what I'm doing, but you get that on the page. And how big is the print? Yeah. Uh, how much of the page does it take up? Uh, and all that. The whole sort. thing. The whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Making a comic. There we go. Yeah. We can, we can yeah, have an IPv6 comic book. Maybe that's what we need to do. Yeah. I, I think um, for me, it was kind of all, all in because I'll write a chapter, do all the illustration, um, and then turn it over to, to the editor and start on the next chapter. So I wasn't able to kind of differentiate between the time that I make, you know, the, the flows or the, the final. Um, correlation between chapters uh, separate from the whole writing process. But I could totally see what you guys were talking about. 
I think it also depends on the publisher for Pearson or for O'Reilly in particular. They actually have in-house illustrators, right? So they're yes. able to, if you give them a high quality resolution picture, they're able to, you know, translate it and, you know, modify it as accordingly. But for somebody like Pact, they usually want the authors to have a certain standard adhered to, and uh, they do minimum amount of, you know, modification and illustration. So I could totally see uh, what you guys were talking about. So fortunately for my book, you know, I usually have like coding. So the codes don't really, you know, impact that much, whether it's, you know, darker or lighter, I guess. Yeah. 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 What I was running into is I want to show five different packet flows mm. and you, you don't have color. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Does that stink? Do you yeah. do it as like five different images and suck up all that space in the book? Or do you try to find five different ways of doing dashed lines and different grayscales? And like, how do you do this? Like, this just takes forever to just sit there and look at it and go, all right, I'm going to split it into two figures because I'm going to make the trade-off of taking twice as much space. But that way I can only use three different dashed lines. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's really crazy. The dash and the dash, 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 the dash, yes. dash, 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 dash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's really, that's really a thing. That's, a, that's a hard part of this. Yeah. So I don't know. But for me, the time, the most time consumed, I always forget when I go into writing a book is the time, the time consumption is not writing. It's in editing. That's, yeah. that's where it sucks up all my time is sitting there looking over the editor stuff and, and, you know, you were saying, Eric, you do chapter by chapter. Yeah. I don't know. The way I typically work is I'll turn in, if the book has four sections or five sections, I'll turn the whole section in. Oh, I like, see. I'll turn in four or five chapters at once. And those four or five chapters have been munged and the outline has changed two or three times between the proposal and the time that that section spits out. So That's I don't like That's interesting, Russ. Because, well, you know, of course, you're back when you were talking about that has to do with your style, right? Because in your teaching on the O'Reilly live learning classes, you have some good animations where you're illustrating like this packet flow and then you start from scratch. You should illustrate this other flow for, you know, Dijkstra mm -hmm. algorithm or whatnot. Um, so I can't imagine how you could, you know, kind of translate that into a static, you know, two-dimensional writing, right? So I think that has to do with your style and, you know, your whole holistic thinking about the book as a collection of four or five different sections versus, you know, 12 chapters. Yeah. Yeah, and that is typically the way I look at it. I don't typically look at chapters. Chapters are just kind of like, it's 10 pages, it's time to quit. Or it's 15 pages, it's time to quit, right? They're not exactly topical as much as you might think. That's that's more of my thinking on it. So I don't know. So I don't know. All right. So we should probably wrap up because we've been running at this for 40 minutes and people are probably tired of us listening to us talk about <laughs> Talking about time. Yeah, talking about time. Um <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, what we should do is maybe do another one of these at some point and talk about podcasting, blogging, and other. We've talked about books a lot, but that's only one little slice of the publishing world, honestly. There's the whole thing with building classes. I mean, Rick teaches and, you know, we should talk about like, how do you build classes and stuff like that? Because those are all forms of publishing to me, but I feel like we don't really have time to jump into all that today. So let's Let's find some other time and do this again and talk about classes. Yes, and I'd like to talk so. more about, you know, hear from you guys about, you know, who you're talking to, the audience. Yes, you know, yes, audience and stuff like that. Different yeah. levels and how do you, who are you trying to reach and are you aiming too high, too low, or are you losing yeah. everything? So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm holding up, I mean, interesting, Rick, what you're talking about, right? Because I'm holding up this 3D printed um 
little robot. And when you're conducting, like when you're making online courses, it's very isolated, very lonely process. And I actually look at that robot and say, that is my target audience. (laughs) 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 I pretend I'm talking to that little 3D printed uh, robot, but I'm telling you like, yeah, that's a whole other story. And I'll be interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. Same here. I'd be interested to hear what you guys have. So let's, let's send that around the email and figure out what we can do about getting that set up. So, okay, before we jump off, um, Rick, where can people get in touch with you or follow you or poke at you? Oh, or... the, the, the easiest is just on LinkedIn and can connect with me there. And that's kind of where, you know, okay. and then I'm always happy. I have all kinds of, speaking of videos and stuff, I try and put out everything I can on YouTube. Just give everybody, any anybody that cares to to watch or listen, give access to anything I do, PowerPoints, all my course material, I don't care. I didn't invent networking and I didn't invent PowerPoint or anything like that or YouTube. So the LinkedIn <laughs> is just way to get a hold of me. And Eric, I think you have a blog, right? Or something. Yeah. So I have uh, the podcast, Network Automation Nerds podcast. Oh, right, yes. um, LinkedIn uh, is probably the, the best way to reach me at. However, you know, I'm trying to wind down a little bit on Twitter, but you can also find me on Twitter, which is my full name, E-R-I-C-C-H-O-U. And I'm not mm-hmm. hard to find on LinkedIn where, uh, you know, like LinkedIn learning, right? Like those are kind of two in one where I could be able to post some updates and maybe translate that to some of the uh, reach I could do on LinkedIn learning as well. So those are all areas you can find me. And I just want to thank you again for inviting me. Such an mm-hmm. honor to be here. <laughs> I'm a longtime listener. And uh, now I'm kind of part of that story. I'm excited. Sure. That's right. Well, for all of our audience out there, thanks very much for listening. We know your time is really valuable today and it's a crazy world and you're in information overflow. So we hope to give you really good information here on the edge rather than all the information overflow that you might get elsewhere. But um, thanks for listening. I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at rule11.tech at the hedge on LinkedIn. I do log into Twitter every now and again, but not very often. So you're better off reaching me on LinkedIn if you want to get in touch. Um, Again, thanks for listening and we will catch you next time.